I think most of us in this room would admit that the world is changing around us, that technology and media have changed the very lens in which we see the world. Uh, it even has changed Webster's Dictionary. Um, there are now words in our dictionary that were not there a decade ago or even five years ago because of all the technology that has taken place in our lives. For instance, y'all probably recognize this word, a word called selfie. Selfie is now in the dictionary, which is a picture uh, that you take with your phone or some sort of tablet or iPad, uh, some, sort of, some sort of device, and then you post it onto your social media account. Uh, here's another one of the word woot. Now, uh, that's not to be confused with whoop, okay, uh, after the Aggies uh, win last night, okay? <laughs> Yeah, so it's woot, which is an exclamation word, a word in which you are super excited about something. Now, here's one that uh, is in Webster's now uh, that you might recognize, and that's photobomb. Now, how many of you admit that you photobombed someone? Okay, a photobomb is when you sneak behind somebody when they're taking a selfie, and they're really excited about their life, woot, and you sneak behind them and you kind of just like crash their party and you think it's funny. That's a photobomb, okay? Um, then you go to post it on your social media account with your fat finger. Yes, that's in there. Fat finger, that, that's, that is describing someone that's clumsy with their, their, uh, their device. Uh, inaccurate typing, when they send you a message, you usually send them back with I have no idea with what you just said. You can now refer to them as a fat finger, okay? <clears throat> and you're like, seriously? Yeah, actually, it's a word. Seriously, now, look. <laughs> See, some of you thought, yeah, yeah, you're confused. Yeah, no, seriously, yes. Seriously, yes, seriously. Seriously, did you just say that? Yes. And if you didn't like it, you, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't funny. You may be hangry, Okay which means you're angry because you're hungry. You hadn't had enough to eat tonight. You might have grabbed a Fiber One bar. You didn't have a big country breakfast this morning. Well, that's because we didn't send it out by email. Some of you, you don't know what that is, we'll tell you at the end. And so you're thinking right now, man, if you keep this up, dude, I'm going to unfriend you. Yes, it's in there. And so unfriending is when you decide, I am no longer going to follow this person. They made me mad. That... Their daughter broke up with my son, and we're done. And so you unfriend, unfriend them and their uncles and their mamas and everybody else, okay? And when you do stuff like that, you're acting like a screenager, okay? <laughs> Which means that you're a teen or in your 20s, and you are all over social media, okay? So these are real words now that you and I have to live with. And you wonder, how in the world did we get here? Well, we got here uh, because God has allowed us to be intellectual people. He's allowed us in many ways to have some rule and some dominion over the earth. Now, although rule and dominion have changed in some ways because of Genesis chapter 3, um, we still have some control over this world. Now, we don't have the con complete control. We see in Ephesians chapter 2 that there is one who is the prince of the power of the air. There is one uh, in which causes us as people to be sons of disobedience. His name is Satan, the accuser, Diablos. He has 
the ultimate rule for a time over this world. But God says, but I have overcome the world. Why? Because of Jesus. But I want to take you back, not just to where we are today, but what did it look like when there was rule and dominion in a perfect way? What did God intend for us in humanity to do and be? Today we're in this series called Media and My Family. Last week we encouraged you to disconnect in order to connect. That we really wanted you to not be so distracted by the things around you that you forgot to spend time on your vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. That you would go to a place and set a time aside where you would read his scripture, that you would pray and that you would seek his face so that you would be better in all your horizontal connections. So I hope that some of you were able to do that. I got several emails and texts this week from people who said, Brandon, that was such a blessing to our family to be able to have God's word uh, delivered to us in such a way where we could get away, just like Jesus did, find a desolate place and seek God. And so uh, if you were able to take advantage of that, then praise God. Uh, that's disconnecting in order to connect. This week, we want, we want to look at what it looks like for us to have dominion over some things. And so if you have your Bible, I want to take you back to the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in Genesis chapter 1, you see um, all of the days of creation, 1 through 5, and then you're going to land at the very end of the chapter in verse 26 on that sixth day of creation. And in verse 26, it says, And then God said, let us make man in our image. This is the very uh, first instance where you, you get a clear picture of the Trinity, besides in verse 2, where the Spirit of the, the, uh, hovered over the waters. But uh, this is the picture of the Trinity. He says, let us, meaning the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. And so God created man in his image. That means that, that man is the only one that had the ability to proclaim the goodness of God in the, the best way possible. That he could speak of his name, that he could live out uh, his uh, creation by his deeds, by the very decisions that he made. He could influence others, but most of all, influence the world around him by living faithfully to God. Now, in this picture, there is no sin in the world. There's no cor corruption. It is just a person named Adam uh, who is going to be created in the image of God, who is his likeness, who is the image bearer of God. And so you look at all the creation around us, none of them bears the image of God like Adam did. And so he is a reflection of all to come. And what's he do? He's to rule over everything, the birds, the air, the fish of the sea. He even names them. He has dominion. In a sense, what you could say is, is that Adam and Eve would become the vice regents of God. It meant that they were literally in charge of everything, and they were at second command. There was a perfect relationship between God and man. They could come to God's presence. They could, they could go, and they could multiply and fill the earth. They could uh, subdue all of it. They could rule over all of it. It was just this perfect relationship, which it was intended to be, in which they were the image bearers of God. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 27, or 28, it says, and God blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves along the earth. Do you get this picture? They are the image bearers of God, and they have dominion over everything on the earth. Say yes if you get this. 29, and it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with a seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. He goes, You, Adam and Eve, are the very image bearers of God. Everything here is under your rule. Everything is under your authority. Multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Name the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Do everything because it's yours. And then they have a perfect relationship with the holy God. I don't know about you, but that sounds fantastic. There is no there is no hurt, there is no sin, there is no chaos in the world, there are no terrorist attacks, there are no crazy presidential elections, there are none of those things. It is just peace on earth where they are the vice regions of God, and they multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. It's an amazing thing. Then something happens. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, you see that there is the enemy, the accuser, Diablos, he shows up into the story. And in verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Now did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, We, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So the question that you see the, the enemy uh he, he put out, is it what? You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And so he comes to them, he goes, you mean to tell me that God, this one who created you to be the image bearer of God, to multiply and fill the earth, to rule over the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and subdue it all, you mean to tell me that he wouldn't let you eat from any tree in the garden? But if you remember the very last verse in Chapter 1 that we just read, verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And so that's clearly not what God said. God said, You are my image bearer. You have dominion over the world. Everything is yours. Enjoy it. There is one tree that you shall not eat from, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Eve says, No, 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 that's not what God said. God just said for us not to touch of that tree, lest we'll die. God didn't even say that, did he? And so if you see that this enemy, this accuser, Diablo, Satan himself, is, is attacking the very plans of God. He, he desires to take what God has made good and flip it on its head. He wants to take someone who seems to be faithful and make them faithless. And he wants to do it by accusations and through distractions. And so in verse Three, it says, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the God is in a garden that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But verse 4 says, but the serpent then said to the woman, you will not surely die. I mean, surely not. If, if God has all of this for you, surely you're not going to die. But then he says, verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he puts this this thought in their head and said, see, God wants to keep something from you. 
God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the, tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do it, you're going to become like him. And God doesn't want you to, to do that. He wants to suppress you. He's trying to keep the man down. That's the very first thought of that. There you go, right? And so Adam and Eve, they begin to ponder this. In verse 6, the woman then saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and she ate it. One of the very things that God had given her ownership of, dominion over a tree that she could choose to eat or choose to obey and not eat, she had dominion over it, and she, in that moment, made a faithless decision. Not a faithful one, not one devoted to God and his word, but just a, a faithless decision, one in which she relied upon her own standards, about her own opinion, and she listened to the distractions that were speaking to her. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been known to make some faithless decisions. I've made some decisions that haven't honored God, but it began there in Genesis chapter 3. And a perfect creation created to multiply and fill the earth, to rule over everything, to subdue it. And they chose that they were going to be like God, in a sense, because of the pride of their eyes and the lust in their flesh. Because of the desire for wisdom and knowledge to be like God, they ate. And in verse 7 it says, And then their eyes were both open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And if you read from that point down, essentially God comes to the, the garden, and he goes, Hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they hide. And he goes, Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Well, how do you know that you're naked? And God had busted them in their sin. And because of their sin, though, there became some curses that you and I now Know and experience because we do not have the dominion that God created us to have like Adam and Eve have because of their sin. And so now, ladies, there's two things that are um, in your life that are very apparent because of our sin. One of them is childbearing pains. So none of y'all said amen. But that's one of them. The second one is, is that you and your husband will not agree all that often You'll actually desire to lord it over him, but he shall rule over you. God had put man as authority in the, on the planet and ultimately in the home and the church. Then it comes to man, and he says, and because, Adam, you sinned, and because you allowed your distractions and, and the accuser to not only convince you, but also your wife, he goes, you're going to experience some things. And he says, you're going to toil and you're going to labor. Work is no longer going to be fun. It's not going to be enjoyable. There's going to be thorns and there's going to be thistles. And then perhaps one of the, the most um, profound of all of the curses, he says, is that you came from dust and now to dust you will return. He said, you will now experience death. And so if you could get this picture that God created man to be the vice regent of God, I mean literally at his right hand, coming and going as he pleases, ruling over the earth, subduing it, having all things in subjection to him. He snaps his finger and a kangaroo runs. I mean, everything is there. And then it all plummets in one faithless decision. The enemy is now in much of the rule and dominion of this earth, and you and I are here, and we go, well, if, if the enemy is 
the prince of the power of the air, if, if he is the one who is the ruler of this thing, then what about us? I mean, what, what do we do? We continue to search for a God who made us in, our, in his image. Think about this. In a world that has gone awry, where sin and corruption seem to be everywhere, God has not left this out of the equation that you and I can still be the very image bearers of God. Like that every decision we make can either point towards the enemy and corruption and sin, or we can decide that we're going to live in such a way that we're going to point everything to God and ultimately his rule and his kingdom. Why? Because we know that through Jesus, the cross, the sting of death, remember that curse has been taken care of. You remember the the, the enmity that man and woman now they, ha- they have in their life, we know that one day that's going to go away. We know that one day that we are going to again be the vice regents of God if we know Jesus. And so the question is not, well, hey, what was in the past? Because we now that know that. We don't go, well, hey, well, what's it going to be like in the future? Because now we know that. Listen, heaven is this. It is a reminder of the Garden of Eden story. It is where we are, again, the vice regents of God, that everything has been put back in its right order, where we will live with God forever, that we will rule over all that there is, and that we will enjoy a lifetime of knowing about God and his grace. But until then, what do we do? Until that day comes, what do we do? Well, we want to be faithful people in a very faithless society. And and listen, this isn't something new. Matter of fact, if if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 10, I want you to see this story about a guy that we can all learn from today. And he's a guy who used a lot of things that God had allowed him to, to know and grow into in some faithless ways. And so let's look at it. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, it says, From there, there was a coastland people's. And they were spread in their lands, each with their own language, by their clans and their nations. It was literally a, a group of people, one group of people, and they had uh, some languages, one language, their clans, their nations all together. There was the sons of Ham and Cush and Egypt, uh, Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush, there were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, uh, Septeca. The sons of uh, Raman, they were uh, Sheba and Dedan. Cush, he fathered Nimrod. Now, Nimrod, he was the very first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, who would have thought that you could have the name Nimrod and be a, a mighty hunter before the Lord, right? <laughs> and so, apparently, this guy is someone that God is using, okay? The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and then Eric, Akkad, Cana, and the land of Shinar. And from there, he went into Assyria, and he built Nineveh, uh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, uh, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. And so this guy, apparently, is a king, a mighty warrior, and he has uh, lands from Nineveh to Babel, Erech, Akkad, all of those places. And so he rules over, and he is a mighty, revered man. And then I want you to see what happens. In Genesis chapter 11, there is a group of people that gather, all of them being these people that we see from Genesis chapter 10. 
And it says in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. That's exactly what chapter 10 just told us. And as the people migrated east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, hey, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, I don't know if you realize this because the details are there for a reason. They began to make bricks out of bitumen and mortar. Now, bitumen is what you and I would know as asphalt. Matter of fact, what's interesting is, is that the Dead Sea is full of it. And so they would pull uh, bitumen out of the Dead Sea and they would begin to make for themselves bricks. Now, we know bitumen mostly to be used in roads and asphalt and things like that. But they would begin to build these bricks. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but that is the technology of its day. Like in every Home Depot store, whether it was in Shinar or in Assyria, wherever it was, like the one thing that people were looking for were these bricks. Now, there was a handful of people like you in this room that they decided that they didn't like their bricks, and so they went to Pinterest, and they decided they would make their own bricks. Why? Because they could make them better, and they could make them cheaper, right? Yes, some of you in here, like, that's your spouse. Don't look at them right now, but that's them. And so they began to make all of these bricks, and they would bake them thoroughly. And the reason why is because they wanted to begin to build something, right? And, and here's what you and I know. God gives us resources. God allows us to have things. And while the brick was the leading thing in his day, it's now become something similar to this. And, and give me, don't get me wrong, this can be a really powerful tool. It could be something that you use. And there's some of you that you're like, oh, no, 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 that's not it. There's an iPhone 7 that I'm waiting for. But the, either way, the, the, the idea is this, is that you and I are not experiencing something new. God has given us an intellectual mind about ourselves in which we can do some really faithful things. I mean, you have doctors, and you have some that are very faithful, and they, they watch over their clients, and they are, um, they are governed well, and they make very wise decisions. There are some doctors that we see often that are very faithless. They make poor decisions with the resources they have. There are some really faithful police officers. There are some very faithful ones in which they, they are honoring God and they are governing the people. They have rules and parameters. There are laws for our safety and for our good. And then we have seen that there are some that have given others a bad name because they've been faithless. It's the same with pastors. There's some of you in here that you're like, I don't really trust any pastor. And it's not because you don't like me, although some that may be the case, but most of all, it's because you've experienced a faithless pastor. You've experienced someone that's taken advantage of people or that they had some corrupt decision. They made some bad things. You can be an educator, a coach, or a teacher, and there's been some really faithful ones. There's been some that have influenced you and are influencing your children now, and you watch them. They're shaping and molding the next generation, and we praise God for them. But then there's some others that if they're not careful, they become lazy and slothful. They become angry or hangry, you know, um, and they're faithless with what God has given them. But the, the idea is this. It doesn't matter what you do or where you are. You and I have an opportunity to be faithful or faithless with the resources that God has entrusted to our care. Adam and Eve, 
were faithless. And they made a decision that impacted generations to come. Let's look what Nimrod does and all of his people. Verse 4 of Genesis 11. Now, after they had made brick and stone and mortar and baked them thoroughly, then they said, hey, come, let us make ourselves a city and a tower that tops the heavens, and let us make a name for... Hold on, what's that say? Ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They said, and they sought to make a name for themselves. And listen, any time that you and I take anything that God has blessed us with, and we use it to make a name for ourselves, we are practicing a very faithless act. Do you understand the picture? The leading technology in his day, bricks, that could be used for good. It could be to build walls, and it could be to build a castle. It could be used to eventually build a temple for the Lord. They could be good things. But it's from what's behind that brick, what's controlling it, and what's the point of it. See, the, the point is, is that this right here can be a really good thing if you're faithful with it. But it can also be a major distraction if we're faithless with it. I guess in some ways, you could be a Nimrod. Yes. You're going, oh, okay, I see now. Like Nimrod, the mighty hunter, the one who's revered. I mean, surely they wouldn't make fun of his name. No, it's not till later after they see a faithless deed that they begin to go, man, you may be a Nimrod, right? And I know you're pondering in here, I wonder if I'm a Nimrod. Look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So here's what it says. As God looks down, he sees this tower in which they said, hey, let's build to the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves. God looks down and he goes, they are one people, one language. And then he says, and this is only the beginning of what they'll do. Do you understand the, the text there? This is only the beginning. God looks down, he goes, if they built a tower to the heavens and said, make a name for ourselves, then this is only the beginning of all the corruption that will fill the earth. This is only the beginning of a faithless act. If, if they're this faithless with bricks and mortar and bitumen, then, then they're going to become more and more faithless. Do you understand? I mean, you think back over the course of time and all the things that we have been faithless with. And God says, if they were this faithless, then oh, there's nothing that will be impossible for them, meaning... I have given them a mind, intellectual will. They can use things for good and glory for God, or they can bring great havoc and destruction. And so God saw that they were about to bring what? Glory to God? No, lots of havoc and destruction. And so this is what happens in verse 7. He says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord then dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was named Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Listen, anytime that you saw a faithless deed, you always saw a consequence. 
And so the faithless deed, they make a name for themselves. God dispersed them. And he says, no longer will they be what? One, one, purpo- one people, one purpose, one language. He goes, I'm going to disperse them. And so the very first time you have clans and you have languages and you have all those things at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, which is one chapter before the call of Abraham, Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans in which God says, I'm going to make a new nation. So God takes a new nation, one man faithful to him, Abraham, and he brings it out of all of this faithlessness. Do you see the picture? And so God is looking for faithfulness in the midst of faithlessness. And you may be here, you may go, well, I don't know, am I being faithful? Am I really being faithful? Well, I thought it would be wise if I let you know whether or not you're a Nimrod. And I thought, you know what, I mean, I can't just front them all out and call them all out because I, too, am a Nimrod, okay? And so if there's a chief Nimrod in here, then that would be me, okay? Uh, but I thought, well, maybe some of us should know whether or not we're Nimrod. And that, that just comes down to have we... Have we taken a good thing, and have we been faithless with it? And so here's one, number 10, my top 10 list. Drum roll, please. No, come on, peeps. Number 10, you might be a Nimrod if you text and drive. Let me, yeah. You might be a Nimrod, number nine, if your profile picture changes more than twice a week. Number eight, you might be a Nimrod if you have something on your phone that you would not like your pastor to see. Hmm. No, no laughing on that one, hardly. <laughs> Number seven, you might be a Nimrod if you said, hey, watch this, why you should have been eating dinner with your family. Right? You might be a Nimrod if you own a selfie stick. Just saying. Number five, you might be a Nimrod if you've missed a green light while you were searching for Pokemon. (laughs) Number four, you might be a Nimrod if you get angry when you go to take a selfie and your storage is full. Now, how many of you would confess before God and men that that's happened? Come on, a bunch of liars in here. You might be a Nimrod if you lie in the church. No. Number three, you might be a Nimrod if you feel your phone vibrate in your pocket only to realize it's not even in there. It's sitting on your dash. It happens to me at least once a week. You might be a Nimrod if the peak times of of your Facebook profile happen between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. That means your boss is like, hey, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm just uh, working. (laughs) Yeah. And then here's number one, okay? You might be a Nimrod if you know more Kardashians than you do apostles. (laughs) Hmm. See, here's, here's where the tension comes. The tension comes now in our society And it's the same tension that Nimrod and his people faced. And that was to make a name for themselves. We live in a day and age where we're encouraged to make a name for ourselves. 
We have social media profiles, and we have things even like LinkedIn where we go, hey, it's going to be good for our business. And people are able to come, and they're able to, in a sense, build you up and esteem you for what you do and what you know. And, and the more things that you can get from other people, the accolades and the mentions and all of those things, the likes, the follows, they point to who we are. And the question is, is this, are you honestly trying to make a name for yourself? And as you make a name for yourself, are you taking something that could be good and using it in a faithless way? Because here's the bottom line. This can be a really good thing. Some of you, you've given it to your nine-year-old and you go, hey, I want you to have this because I want to be able to contact you at my convenience. But for every good way that there is, how many faithless ways can that now be used by your nine-year-old? I mean, you think about this. You, you have this tool, and you have this resource, and you go, hey, I can get on the web anytime at any place. And you even taunt that. And you go, hey, this is really awesome because now I have this new internet package and this hotspot mobile device, and I can be anywhere in the world. I can be even on a plane 40,000 feet up in the air. And I can get on this. And, and that's really good. And you could be faithful with that. But let me ask you a question. How many faithless ways do we use that? Because now we have that to our advantage. And what I, I encourage you to do is this. Just honestly and introspectively go, God, how many ways have I taken a good thing and have I been faithless with it? God, I want to be faithful in every area of my life. I want to use the things that you've given us for your good and for your glory. But God, if I'm honest with myself, I look at my family, I look at all the directions that we're going, and then at any point in time, we have five screens in our house, two TVs on, two cell phones, and we've got a kid sitting on an iPad, and we seem to be disconnected. God, are we being faithful with our time as a family? Or are we being faithless? And the question is, is that, are you making a name for yourself? Because, listen, that's not why God created us. God created us to do what? Make a name for God and not for ourselves. And so how are you doing at that? And I ask you in, in a serious way, but also uh, because you can't take it too seriously, are you being a nimrod? In what ways would you go home and confess that, hey, you know what, I, I am. I'm a nimrod in this area. I tend to text when I drive, or yes, I, I find myself while I'm having dinner with you that I find myself looking uh, on my phone. And in almost any conversation, whether it be with your family or friends, you'll look up, and out of ten people that are sitting there, four of them will be on their devices. And so God, just help us to look at the ways that we have not honored you and have been faithless in the things that you've called us to be faithful with. Because listen, if you believe that God only wants you to be faithful with your life here on Sunday morning, then I think you've missed the whole point. Because the purpose is to be faithful wherever we go. God gave Adam and Eve a command to multiply, to fill the earth, to rule over it, to subdue it. That meant everything was under his subjection. Unfortunately, because of sin, that broke the pattern. And now we have it twice as hard. Why? Because there's distractions. There's the prince of the power of the air, Satan, who is now at work in our lives. And yet we are trying to live faithfully in the midst of faithlessness. 
And it's very difficult to do that. And the only way you do that is if you are reminded of Hebrews chapter 11 to fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. That is the Lord Jesus. Make a name for him and not for you. Amen? And so may you be encouraged today as we look at media and my family. Amen? Let me pray for us, church. God, we love you. We thank you for today. Lord, thank you, God, for the stories in the scriptures. And I thank you, Lord, for the story of this guy named Nimrod. And uh, Lord, he, he had great accolades. He was uh, a man that was a, a great warrior and had much valor and respect. He even had people that worked under him. He was the king of many kingdoms. Lord, even though he had titles and he had accolades, he did some very faithless things. And he did some things that didn't honor you. And it was just because he wasn't faithful with the very things that you allowed him to make and use. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would be honest with ourselves and looking at the tools and the things that we have around us and admitting that there are some things that we haven't been faithful with. And so God, help us. Help us to live for you. And, and just as John 3.30 says... We must increase. Um, we must decrease that he must increase. God, I pray that we would simply do that, that we would decrease and that we would make much of the name of God in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.